Thanks for listening to one of the audio messages from Cornerstone Church Airdrie. My name is Brad, and I'm the lead campus pastor and primary preaching voice here at Cornerstone Church Airdrie. We believe that the God who spoke so clearly all through the pages of Scripture is still speaking to his kids today. So if it's me who's speaking to you or someone else on this recording, as you listen, we pray that you would know God, know his hope, know his purpose, and know his power. Enjoy the message. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 17 this morning. As you just saw, that's, that's where we're going to be. Um, this week, we're going to continue to look at these different moments in time where the life of Jesus impacted, connected, and, and had he had an encounter with someone. And we're seeing how these encounters changed everything. How, how these encounters shaped people's lives, completely transformed their lives, took it from a moment where, where their life was defined by something and redefined it by something else. Maybe he changed their physical state. Maybe he changed the way that they looked at life. Maybe they changed the way that they viewed themselves or the way that they understood faith. And this week I want to take a, a moment to, to look at an encounter that Jesus has with ten people, all of whom find themselves in the same boat. Now, there's going to be one little difference between our, our encounter this week and some of the encounters that we've had in the past. Um, this, hopefully for you anyway, I was going to say this sermon series has been, but hopefully for you, this sermon series has been really encouraging. And it's been really inspiring and exciting to see how God can meet us in our most crazy moments in life, at our most difficult moments, at our lowest moments. And, and God's going to do that this morning. Jesus is going to do that this morning. But I think God has a real challenge for us today. That out of this encounter, he's going to challenge us and the way we view life and the way we view our circumstances this morning. But these ten guys, all in the same boat. All of them are sick. And, 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 and we will read in the pages of Scripture that they've all been afflicted with the same disease, leprosy. Now, something that's important, maybe, for you to understand, or maybe it's not, I don't know. For me, as I read it, I thought, okay, um, it's important for us to understand here that the Bible gives us their diseases as leprosy, and we have a disease that we know today is leprosy, but those two things were not necessarily the same thing. The, the, the thing that we understand as leprosy wasn't necessarily, when the Bible says leprosy, the same thing. In fact, based on historical records and, and as we see, see the spread of leprosy over, over the globe, it was happening around this time. But the likelihood that these men suffered from what we would deem leprosy today is actually not all that likely. But what they would have had is some kind of other disease that was, or at least was considered, very highly contagious. The, the Hebrew word, the word that the Bible uses to describe these ten men here, actually has a pretty broad meaning. Essentially, it means uncleanness or defilement. And throughout Scripture, we see this exact word that's translated leprosy here used in lots of different ways. It's used to describe people. It's used to describe clothing, and it's used to describe a wall. And so we, we translate this world, these words out leprosy, but we don't really know that that's what these ten men had. 
But for the sake of our time together, I'm going to probably refer to them with leprosy and lepers because it's just, that's what the story reads as. And perhaps they did have it. Um, but, but what we do know is that these men were forced, because of the condition they had in their life, they were forced to live outside of society, outside of the village. They, they were forced to forge a life for themselves away from everyone else for now, for forever. From the moment that they were diagnosed with this disease until essentially the day they died, they were cast out of society and forced to live away from everyone else. And we know that at this point in the story, Jesus passes through the village. So, so our text is starting at verse, or, or, at, at verse 11 of Luke 17. It says, Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. There's lots that we could even unpack in that verse of the direction that Jesus chose to travel and where he was and, and all of these kind of things. But Jesus is about to pass through this village. He was going into a village to, or as he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. And they stood at a distance. And they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Now, if these men had leprosy or not, what we can gather from the, these verses is that whatever they had, it was deemed so highly contagious that they were considered a risk to the community at a whole, and they were forced to live outside of community. In Bible times, people suffering from these types of diseases were really treated as outcasts. They were forced to leave their homes and their families and essentially to live together with other sufferers, whether it was of that same disease or another disease like it. They were forced to live in sort of a community outside of town and that there was no social security net for them. There was nobody to provide for them. There was nobody to help them. They were just sort of sent out of town and wished luck. Hopefully you can live long, but there was nobody to help them. They had to scavenge for food at whatever. They, 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 there was nothing to help them. And they were forbidden to have any contact with people who did not have a disease or a like disease. And they had to actually ring a bell and shout unclean if anybody got too close to them. That, that if you were walking through town and you happened to, to exit out of town and, and you ended up in really the wrong part of town, that this outskirts village, they had to proactively see you coming and begin to ring a bell and shout unclean so that you knew to not come any closer and start walking the other way. They were not allowed to go into the village for any reason. It didn't matter what was going on in their life, the lives of the people around them. If somebody in their family died, too bad. If, if something happened inside of their family, too bad. Whatever was going on, if they wanted to go to the temple, to go, go to church, too bad. You were not allowed to come into the village for any reason, and they were completely cut off from life. But the stories of, of who the, the story of who Jesus was and, and what he had done and what an encounter with Jesus could do for these guys somehow made it to them. And the news that that some that Jesus was actually there that day. He was on his way. That they somehow knew who Jesus was and they knew Jesus is here. He, he's in the village. And, and he's going through the village any moment now. 
And so these 10 men stood at a distance as they would have been very, very aware of the law forbidding them to have contact with people who did not have the disease. They, they stood as close as they could to Jesus, which was still a ways away, and they shouted to Jesus, Jesus, have pity on us. Essentially saying to Jesus, Jesus, do something, anything to help us. They, they didn't say, Jesus, heal us. They didn't say, cleanse us from our love. They didn't, they just said, Jesus, do something. Have pity on us. Do something. I think that, that sometimes when, when we see a phrase like this, what we, we can see in these moments that, and I think we can all probably recognize these moments in our lives where... Our heart aches for something, but we just don't know how to put it into words. That we come before God and it's like, God, I, something. These moments where we don't know what we want, but to try and even come up with what we need to see happen is overwhelming. We don't know what, what we want. We don't know what we need. We, we just know we need something, anything. God, God, I, I don't even know what to ask for. Perhaps this, this is what praying into to COVID looks like for, like for you. God, I don't even know what to pray. God, I, I just need you to do something. Do something. Maybe it's, it's for your marriage or for your kids or for your finances or for situations in your life or addictions or, or whatever. It may. God, I don't even know what to pray anymore. God, would you just have pity on me? Do something, anything to help. And, and here these ten men come to Jesus and say, God, Jesus, Lord, do something, anything. Have pity on us. Do, do something for us that no one else does, no one else can, no, no one else will. And, and as a symbol of, of hope in these moments for us, we don't, when we don't even know what we're asking, we're just asking for something. Jesus hears them. He hears these men off in a distance, and he doesn't, as would his be right, as would be normal, as would be custom, as would be easy, he doesn't just ignore them. He doesn't just continue on his way. He doesn't get out of here, you're dirty, you're wrong, I need you to get away from me, I need you to social distance, I need you to be apart from me right now. He doesn't push them away. He hears their cry. Jesus, do something. And, and he chooses to engage with them. But it's different. If you were with us last week, if you were online or here in person, you remember, might remember, I say you well remember, but realistically, you might um, remember that we talked about last week how Jesus never healed somebody the same way twice. That as, as we read through scripture, whenever Jesus encounters a healing, there's no formula. 
There's no sort of like magic phrase. There's no sort of magic word. Jesus does it different every time. And this week, thankfully, there's no spit or anything like that that makes it weird. But this week is, is still a, a strange healing. It's, it's a different kind of... Nowhere else does the healing happen like this in Scripture. We'll see, we'll see why in a moment. Verse, so verse 10 told us that these, these very sick men stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And then verse 14, when he saw them, when Jesus saw them, he said, go and show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. What makes this healing strange is that there's no moment of healing. There's no moment where Jesus spits on the guy's face or spits in mud and rubs it on his eyes. There's no moment where Jesus says, be healed. There's no moment where something happens where Jesus prays. He, he doesn't really even acknowledge the men or their condition or what Jesus is going to do for them. He doesn't say, be healed. He hears the cry of these men's hearts and he gives them an instruction. He doesn't say, be healed, now go show yourselves to the priest. These men cry out, Jesus, do something. And Jesus says, you do something. And he says to them, go and show yourself to the priest. Now I said earlier that when you came down with a highly contagious disease like leprosy, these, like these men had you, had, you were cut off from all forms of society and you were barred from entering the village. But there was one exception to this rule. If, for some reason, you thought you were better, if, if, if you thought you had been healed, if you thought you had recovered, if, if for some reason the symptoms that you had had gone away, if for some reason you felt like, I'm, I'm better now, if anyone had a disease from which they thought they were cured, the Jewish law stated that they could not re-enter society unless they first went to the priest. To, to be checked out, that the priest would, would actually check them out. And if they were in fact cured, they would receive essentially a certificate from the priest to say they were now clean. Sometimes I am so glad that these laws and traditions have gone by the wayside. Because I don't want this as part of my job description. I don't want sick people coming to me and saying, hey, am I better? I, I don't want that. That's a part of like, that can stay in Bible times. If you're sick, I will happily pray for you, but go see a doctor. Don't come and see me to judge whether or not you're better. But so in telling these men to go and show themselves to the priest, what, what Jesus was doing, what Jesus was implying was that they, they had a reason to go show themselves to the priest. But it's really interesting to note that there isn't a moment of healing. And, and we don't really know what their healing looked like. Were, were they better the moment Jesus spoke? When Jesus said go, was, was instantly, were they, in that moment, was that the word that covered them? Did they get better gradually as they walked? That every step was a step of faith, and every step, step that they took, they gradually got better and better until they got to the priest when they were recovered. 
Were they sick and they had to walk in their condition believing Jesus in faith for what was going to happen until they showed up at the temple to speak to their, show up at the tabernacle to speak, speak to the priest and in that moment were they healed? Well, we don't know what happens. As they went, they were cleansed. But we don't know if that means that it was a gradual, if it was a moment. We don't know what happened. But this miraculous moment of healing comes and these ten men are healed from this disease and, and, and it's this incredible miracle. And, and then we have the conclusion of our story. The lepers, they go to the priest and they're cleansed and Luke tells us that, but he also says the story doesn't end there. A single leper, a Samaritan, returns and throws himself at the feet of Jesus. Of the ten lepers healed, a single one returns. Verse 15 says, One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Were, were not ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except for this foreigner? And then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Now, now Luke doesn't tell us how the Samaritan replies. and There's a lot of stuff that we can unpack here. And if you're, you're not familiar with, with scripture and you don't understand, why is it important that he was a Samaritan? Well, we could talk about that, but we're not going to talk about that this morning. And it says, Jesus says, your faith has made you well. We could talk about what that means, but we're not going to talk about that this, this morning. There's several lessons and takeaways from this story that we could have this morning. But I think that there's something that God really wants to challenge us to as his children right now living in this time. I want to focus on the nine guys who didn't come back to Jesus and didn't come back to say thank you. And I want to explore why I think that maybe they didn't come back to say thank you to Jesus. Now, the common lesson that we can take away from this story, that, that probably if you grew up in the church and you heard this, this lesson in Sunday school or, or you've heard it talked about, the, the common lesson is that, that we need to be thankful for, to Jesus for all that he's done in our lives. And that's the heart of our message this morning, is that we do need to be thankful for what Jesus has done in our lives, but I would assert and I would challenge and I would say to you today that I don't think that the other nine guys who were healed somehow were not grateful for what Jesus did. I don't think that somehow they didn't care. I don't think that somehow they weren't grateful. I don't think that somehow their hearts weren't filled with joy. I mean, they had literally been given their life back. Their families, their friends, their everything had been given back to them. They, they, the, everything that had been taken away from them, they had to live essentially like they were dead. Everyone had to treat them like they were dead. They had to exist in a close to as dead a state as you really could. For all intents and purposes, you stopped existing. Because of this, you were cut off from your family, you were cut off from your friends. It wasn't somehow like that you, you, you could still interact. You, were not, you weren't allowed to send letters, like there was nothing. You were cut off from everything. Functionally, you lost your life the moment you had this diagnosis. Everyone had to treat them like they were dead. But they were still alive. They were treated, had to live like they were dead, but they were alive. 
But in this moment, Jesus gives them their life back. Everything that they had lost, they had now been given back. And I'm confident that at their core, they were so grateful to God for this, to Jesus for this. I don't think it was a lack. I don't think that they were like, man, you've been healed. Yeah, who cares? Whatever, I don't care. Jesus, it's amazing he healed you. Eh, anybody could have done it. I don't think that they were somehow callous to this, to this experience. I don't think there was a lack of heartfelt gratitude, expressed gratitude for sure there was. That, you know, that there is a difference between the feeling of gratitude and an expression of gratitude. That that, that is a real thing. That, that it, if, if I don't express my gratitude, I can feel it, but if I don't express it, I've missed half the, half the joy. That Shannon is an incredible baker. And, and if she shares some amazing homemade peanut butter cups with me, it's my birthday, um, but if she shares them with me, and I feel immense gratitude for this, but I never say, thank you, Shannon, that, that was wonderful. I'm missing out on probably the most important part of the gratitude that I can be so grateful for something somebody did for me, but if I never tell them. So, so I'm confident they felt gratitude. They didn't express it. But I think, that, I think as we unpack this a little bit, I think we can see maybe why the expression of gratitude was missed out on. I think what happened to these men after they received this amazing gift from God is the same thing that all too often we become guilty of after God does something in our lives. They had lived in the middle of this awful situation, hoping, wishing, praying that someone would just do something, anything to provide them even a moment of relief from the suffering that they're going through. And I know that, that I, we, we can all identify with these times in our lives where, where we're just struggling. We, we just need something anything to get us through this time, to get us through this, see, that we're facing an obstacle in our life, and maybe it's physical, maybe it's emotional, maybe it's spiritual, whatever it may be, but we look at our lives, and I just know I just need something to get me through this. And then Jesus shows up, and the thing that we're hoping for, wishing for, praying for, it shows up, and, and suddenly things have changed. And, and this thing that was the, the most difficult time and situation and place in my life that I could ever imagine, it, it, it's resolved. And, and Jesus has carried me through it. And so to see what happens to us and to see what happened to these men, let's unpack a little bit of, of what life would have looked like for these guys. Jesus sends them to the priest. And, and the priest sees them and pronounces them clean. He gives them their little certificate of achievement that, that they, are now, they are now clean. And so they, they can go throughout the village and show all their friends and family and everybody in the village, look what happened to me. Look, I'm clean. I'm, I've been cleansed. I've been healed. I'm okay. I'm good to be here. They can throw away their, their bells and they can, not, they can show people their, their, their signs and they're allowed to return home for the first time in years. Where would you go? If, if you had been 
pushed away from your family and essentially lived in this world where you think, for, I may never see them again. And the priest says, you can go home. Where would you go? I know where I would go. I'm going home. I'm going to go see my wife and my kids. I haven't seen them. They probably ran home to their lives that they thought they had lost, to their wife, their kids, to tell them this amazing news. But life, the world, the village, it's all changed. You know, I remember being, as a kid, you'd go away for camp to a week, and you'd come home, and you'd drive through Airdrie, and you'd look at all the things that changed in a week. You'd see the construction that was just started was now bigger, and you, you could see changes. Imagine if it, you had been gone for 10 years, and, and then you were to, to suddenly return back to a place where you maybe thought you'd never be again. And perhaps, perhaps you've done this, where you grew up somewhere else, and years later you returned to your old neighborhood. And, and there were things that you looked at, and you were like, I remember that, I remember, but this is different. This building didn't used to be here. This used to be a field. This used to be houses. There used to be a building here, and now there's not. And so they, they come home to see their house and their wife and their kids, and they talk to them for the first time in years, maybe a decade. And there's so much to learn, to discover, to talk about, to catch up on. Imagine you leave, you're, you're forced out of life, and your child is two. And you return home, and they're 12. You have so much to learn about, to discover, to find out. Everything has changed. So much lost time to make up for. Dad's home. Dad was essentially dead, but now miraculously he's back. And there's so much that's happened. The furniture in the house has been rearranged. The pots are in a different drawer. You're trying to do the dishes, but you don't know where anything goes. The walls have been painted. The family's created a new life, a new way of doing things that didn't include dad. Suddenly there's all these routines that you've romanticized in your head about, this is how my family did things, but you come home and they don't do them that way anymore. Bedtime doesn't look like what bedtime used to look like. Mealtime doesn't look like what mealtime used to look like. And you have all of these changes and adjustments inside your life. But now dad, now they, now dad have to figure out how to live life together in the same space. And then, now, dad's got to find a job. Start providing for his family. I mean, he can't beg anymore. The, the handouts, the scraps that he was able to find for the last decade were barely enough to feed him. He's not going to be able to do that for his family. And now he's another mouth to feed. So he's got to start doing something to contribute to his family. And suddenly, life has moved on. It was amazing. Dad was healed. He's back. But now as time's passed, life did what it always does. It kept moving forward. It moved on. And suddenly, Dad's healing, while it's, well, well, great, isn't in the forefront of life the way that it used to be. It's not that they weren't grateful that Dad was healed, but other things kept happening. And suddenly that thing that felt so unbelievably huge was now 
not such a big deal because there were other things that needed to happen now. And unfortunately, this is something that I think is all too familiar for me. And I, I would wager to say for many of us, we, we have these, these times and these seasons in our lives where there's this thing that's the only thing that matters. And the only thing that matters is, God, would you just get me through this season? This season, this is the biggest thing in my life that will ever be. And then we make it through it. I, I saw this meme the other day, and it said something like, this, every single one of your, this is the worst day of my life, has come and gone. And you made it through every single one of those. That every single day in your life up until this point that you've ever said, this is the worst day of my life, it's come and gone. The every single season in your life where you were like, I, I am not going to make it through this. Well, guess what? You're, you're here now. And you made it through these, these terribly difficult seasons in your life. And it's true, every season that you have prayed, God, help me make it through this. Every worst day of your life, every it couldn't get any worse, every time you couldn't see a way forward. If you're hearing this today, God has seen you through to the other side. But as the case for so many of us, what God has done in the past, it's all well and good. But what we really need is for God to get us through what's next. I mean, it makes sense. What does God getting us through all of the stuff that happened in our past matter if God doesn't get us through our present? But the reality is that for so many of us, I would dare probably say for all of us, there are worse days of your life that you don't even remember. That there was a day in your life 10, 20, 30 years ago that you, at that day, were like, this is the worst day of my life and I don't think I'm ever going to make it through it. And now you don't even remember that it existed. But you obviously made it through it. And I think, I think of the Israelites and the stories of the Israelites in the Old Testament and specifically, the story of the Israelites as they wandered through the desert after being liberated from Egypt. After they had just seen God free them from 400 years of slavery and oppression in Egypt. And not through bureaucracy and not through this like just natural movement of time. It was miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle Every step along the way, there's these incredible stories of God sending plagues but sparing them, and God parting the Red Sea, and God doing all of these amazing things that should build your faith, that should cause us to trust in Him, that should cause us to never, ever, 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 ever doubt again. Because I walked through dry ground in the middle of the Red Sea, and it was the most amazing thing I've ever seen, and I will never forget it. Except that not that long later, only really weeks later, they're in the desert saying, I wish we could go back to Egypt. I wish we were back in Egypt. 
because then we knew we had something to eat. God had done all of these miracles and done these amazing things that, that we look and we can become snarky and, and kind of chuckle at the Israelites and their lack of faith. But God has done these amazing things in their story. But then they come to this place now where in their, they're in the middle of the desert. They don't have anything to eat. And they look back and they go, you know, we always had something to eat in Egypt. It might have been terrible, but we always had something. Because what good is it if God's done all of this other stuff to get us to this point, if he's just going to let us die here in the desert? And this is a thing that, that for us, what, what, what good was God freeing us from Egypt just to have us die in the desert? And so like I say, sometimes we can scoff and laugh at the Israelites because it seems so insane. But then I would say that far too often, I know that I've done this in in my own life in the same kind of way. Like Israel, we're, we're, we can be quick to compartmentalize the miracles that God's done in our lives. Like Israel, we often don't remember God's many kindnesses and we rebel. Like Israel, we can soon forget and grow impatient in our waiting, especially through trials and suffering. God, just help me make it through this season. I, I prayed like, God, just do something, anything. And here I am today because God saw me through it. But my need for God has changed from that moment. The thing that I was praying for, God's resolved it. And so I don't need him for that anymore. I need him for this. And what God did then, it's all well and good, but it doesn't really mean much if God doesn't do this one now. And, and this, is, this is why I believe, why I, I assume that these men were thankful, were so grateful for everything that God did to heal them. But I think life got in the way. I think one thing led to another, and before you know it, life had moved on. Moving on doesn't take special effort. It's not a choice that we make. It's not something that we just decide to do. It just happens. It's, it's what we do. It's, it's our nature. That, that the more we're removed from something, potentially the less meaningful it becomes, especially when we're presented with an alternative to that thing. But God in his grace has given us a way to overcome this nature. John 14, 26 says, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I've said to you. We don't have to try and remember on our own effort. We have this helper, this advocate, this Holy Spirit, God who's living within us to help us to remember God. And I think it's a pretty genius solution because I know how I desperately need a helper to remember what Jesus did for me and what he continues to do in me and around me. The, the one in ten that comes back fights against his nature, goes against what would be normal, what is expected. The one in ten who comes back fights against the, the call of life, the call of our nature to just move on, to move forward. You and I need to remember 
to lean into going against our nature. So there's a couple of things that I want to invite you to, to do, a couple of things to invite you, to challenge you to do, to help you to be this one in ten. First, I want to invite you to, to make some time and to take some time today to say thank you to God for all the times in your life when we've prayed for God to do something. That God, would you just get me through this? God, would you just do this? God, would you just make a way for this to happen? And he did. And say thank you to God for his faithfulness in your life and say thank you for, to God for all the times in your life that he showed himself faithful that we've moved on from. <laughs> that, there you go. God's reminding you, Yinka. No, but but all, all of the things in our lives that God has been faithful for that we forgot even existed. That time when we prayed, God, would you just help me get through this season when my child wasn't sleeping? And now maybe they're grown up. And you don't remember that they used to be bad sleepers? The time when we prayed, God, would you just give me a job? I just need a job. God, would you provide some way of making money for my family, for myself? And we've had nine jobs since then. So that one doesn't really resonate the way that it used to. At the time, it was a miracle. But now, I, I, that's something I used to do 40 years ago. That all of these times in our lives that we've moved on from, that we might not even remember, and just, God, I am so thankful for all the things you've done in my life that have fallen into memory. They're far fallen out of memory. Things that, all the things that I've forgotten that you did for me. All the times that we needed God, and God showed up. But then life moved on, and we moved on. And then I want to also invite you to challenge you as God makes us into a people who have hearts and souls that remember what God has done, then, challenge, then God's challenge for us today is to not just do that, but to do that and then allow for that to change how we're going to view our present and, and view our, our future. For us to not see the things in front of us and think, what if God doesn't? but for us to see the things behind us and say, because of this, I have faith that God will. Let us live a life full of faith with expectancy for what God will do because we have seen him be so faithful. Live in a way that we don't see what God has yet to do and be in fear and worry, but live in a way that says, if God has done all of this, imagine what he's going to do with that. That if God has done all of this stuff in my past and I come to this place where I have no idea what's going to happen, imagine what God's going to do. Imagine the Red Seas he's going to part. Imagine the manna from heaven. Imagine the healing. Imagine, what I, imagine the miracle that God's going to do because he's been faithful for all of this time and I know he's going to be faithful right now. And when we live in that place, then we can come to God and be that one in ten that comes and says, God, thank you for this. Because you did something in my life 
that we're not just crowded out by the next thing. We're not just left to, well, okay, that's great, I got a job, but, but now I need to, to, to see this next thing because I, it doesn't matter that I got a job if this is now. It doesn't matter if I had this because now this. No, I needed this. God was faithful. So as I stand on the edge of needing this, God is still faithful. He's going to continue to be faithful and we're able to then recognize the faithfulness of God in our lives. Friends, let's live as the one in ten. If my heart could tell a story Thanks again for listening to one of the audio messages from Cornerstone Church Airdrie. I pray that you were blessed by what God had to say in this message. If you would like to connect further with Cornerstone Church, there are a couple places you can go. First is our website, cornerstonefoursquarechurch.com, and select the Airdrie campus. And some of the best ways to connect with us is through our social media channels. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cornerstoneairdrie. Follow us on Twitter at csairdrie. And on Instagram at cornerstoneairdrie. If you'd like to connect with the pastoral team at Cornerstone, you can do that again through our website, cornerstonefoursquarechurch.com. Click on the Airdrie campus. Then click on the About Us on the main menu. And then one last click on Our Campus Pastors. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and get new messages delivered directly to you. We are so thankful to be able to share the gospel message of Jesus Christ with our community in Airdrie and with you today. At Cornerstone Church Airdrie, we are a family not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. And that family includes you. We follow Jesus together. As family, we go. Let this be their memory. That all my treasure was in heaven And you were everything to me No one ever cared for me like Jesus His faithful hand has held me all this way and when I'm old and gray and all my days are numbered on the earth, let it be known in you alone my joy was found. I found my joy. You're still enough
Joy was found. 